everybody, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, I'll be your only host for this episode. Um, we're going to kind of do a short and sweet episode. Uh, Ross is on assignment and will be traveling, so we'll not be able to uh, engage with him uh, this week, but we'll be probably back in the saddle, I think, next week. But uh, I'm just going to take a little bit of time to talk about something that I care about. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the Star Wars role-playing game, uh, specifically the tabletop role-playing games that have been available for Star Wars. So we're going to have a little bit of a fun history lesson. We're going to poke around, and hopefully I have some interesting things to say. Hopefully it maybe gets you interested in some of the things that have happened in the history of Star Wars role-playing games. I don't think this is the last time we're going to talk about it, because you may be surprised how important role-playing games are to the history of the Star Wars universe. And we're going to get into that in just a moment, right after this. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the next chapter in the Star Wars saga, Revenge of the Jedi. The battle between good and evil rages on. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, C-3PO and R2-D2, and Darth Vader. Alien worlds. It's a trap. A rebellion against oppression. An epic of heroes and villains. An adventure as vast as the universe. Revenge of the Jedi. Coming May 25th to a theater in York. Right, so let's talk again about the dark times. So, after 1983's release of Return of the Jedi, Star Wars started to see its maximum popularity start to wane. With no more movies to tie uh, marketing things to, we sort of slowly saw the de-evolution of Star Wars. There are various projects to try and keep it alive, such as cartoons like Ewoks and Droids, as well as Kenner, the action figure juggernaut behind the Star Wars line, tried to have Powers of the Force, its own line to carry it. Um, but there was one candle in the dark when all the chips fell down. There was one thing that kept going all the way through the dark times and that is the star wars role-playing game so the star wars role-playing game uh originally was published in 1987 with surprisingly enough the star wars role-playing game as the first book in the entire uh canon and it was a self-contained book all right quick meditation for those people who have never uh engaged in tabletop role-playing games such as probably the most famous being dungeons and dragons but there are many, many of them out there. And to be honest, the 80s were a turbulent time for that genre as well. 
the 1970s had seen great success with the implosion of, uh, sorry, the explosion, not implosion, that doesn't happen yet, the explosion of uh, tabletop role-playing games through the introduction of Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is the granddaddy of all role-playing games. It's the one that is sort of at the center of the universe, and that has not changed in the over 40-plus years it's been existent. The thing about D&D, though, was it's based on fantasy, specifically the rise of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books and other fantasy novels of similar ilk that brought it to so it wasn't too long before other people tried to create role-playing games in different genres. Um, by that time, other popular genres such as Gamma World had come out, which was all about post-apocalyptic adventures. Uh, we had, had seen a number of different sci-fi games built around it, superhero genres for both Marvel and DC comic book characters. And by the time we got to the middle of the 80s, we were probably in a period where, where the hobby was both in some ways at its most obscure but also at some ways it's most vibrant as far as Dungeons and Dragons after a moral panic uh, at the end of the 70s uh, was kind of pushed out of the public square. It never went away. It still was a fine product that was making tons of uh, money and also was extremely popular with players, but it had sort of gone away. A lot of people tied it to a number of different incidents, including uh, a near-fatal um, death of a person at a college campus who's using um, essentially unsafe tunnels that were built into it as a makeshift dungeon, and people blamed that, oh, it's because of the game that they went down into those tunnels, which had been used for years for various different things by college students, whether it was fraternity hazing or just in general hiding out. So in the general, the moral panic around role-playing games was extremely overwrought, and the fantasy nature of them meant that by the 80s, fantasy was pushed away so it wasn't connected to demons and demonology and some of the other things that were behind the very um, re religious backlash against the game. So by the 80s, we had a lot more science fiction. Science fiction had gone through quite the renaissance, of course, at the late 70s with our favorite franchise, Star Wars. But also there was a hard edge happening in 1980s um, science fiction with uh, projects that would lead to things like the Alien franchise of films, uh, which would come in, what, Aliens would be in 86. Uh, you also had uh, in, you know, a year later in 87, you'd have things like uh, Terminator coming around. So again, had a sort of harder edge to it. And that's the world that birthed Star Wars, the role-playing game. Uh, a smallish company called uh, West End Games, which is based out of New York, um, had been doing a number of different games, again, on the back of this hobby, selling war games, so miniature-based war games, as well as role-playing games to various sources. And it was a huge get for them to talk to Lucasfilm and get the license to make probably the ultimate science fiction role-playing game. You could go and live in the Star Wars universe. But there was somewhat of a problem. The Star Wars universe at that time consisted of a number of strange veins. We had three movies. We knew that those were important and all the places and characters therein were people you could meet as you and your friends went on an adventure here. Because the entire point of a tabletop adventure is you and a series of friends sit down at a table. There's one person in Dungeons & Dragons called the DM or the Dungeon Master. In other games, it's more generic, such as Star Wars, where we call them the GM, the Game Master. 
There's other names, storyteller, narrator, referee. But the whole point is that person represents all the characters in the world, as well as the situations and describes the scenes that are happening in front of the players. The theater of the mind is where we are both constructing a artificial world in our imaginations, as well as sharing a story together. The other players will take the, the role of PCs, player characters, people that have agency in this world and are working together with the other characters at the table to accomplish goals. And then the world is populated by non-player characters or NPCs, and those are played by the game master, whose job is to give those characters life and make the world feel alive and vivid in the imaginations of their players. Star Wars, it's easy to lend this to. You could be on Cloud City as a series of smugglers who are there during the Imperial occupation when, uh, you know, after Lando tries to evacuate people, how do you escape with uh, your treasures on your smuggling uh, freighter before the Imperials completely lock down the city? Or perhaps you're a group of rebel soldiers in a fighting squad who are veterans of the Battle of Hoth, and after escaping from Hoth, have a series of misadventures before you find your way to Solace and be part of the Battle of Endor. Uh, perhaps you're more inclined to be a lost Jedi and his master, trying to hide out in a galaxy that's trying to kill you as the Jedi Purge still has not ended. Of course, there's a lot of other things I'm sure you can have in your imagination, but in 1987, that was sort of the limits of what we could think of ourselves doing. I mean, sure, we could be droids or rebels, or perhaps we want to play the dark side and become Imperials. But the realities were the Galactic Civil War period, the span of the original trilogy, is all we had. Sure, we again had some comic books that had come out and comic strips published during that time. But honestly, the way those things meshed together, while it might have fueled your imagination, it was hard to make a cohesive whole lot of it and all the different things that had happened in Star Wars. For instance, many of those comics stopped making sense when they were written in 1978, and then Empire would come and reframe a lot of these things. Or even after that, Return of the Jedi would come and reframe a lot of these things. And we would always hold that the movies were obviously the most important. Uh, you've heard me and my friend Ross talk about the idea of canonicity, now, back in the original Expanded Universe, this was a fairly important concept where it was, hey, as a collective group of fans, we're going to consider some things are non-negotiables. If you love Star Wars, then we all accept that this is the, the nucleus of Star Wars and that everything in here is definitely something that happened, like the movies. But as more materials came out, this started becoming a problem of what was important and what was not. And a game like the Star Wars role-playing game where you and your player friends are the stars of the game... Obviously, canon doesn't matter a whole lot, and you just picked and choose what your friends really enjoyed. And the Star Wars role-playing game was exceptionally great at providing that. But to fill in the blanks, they were throwing at the wall anything they thought would stick. They grabbed things from the comic books. They grabbed things from, from the action figure line. Um, there was tons of things they had to give names to. You know, what was that lamp thing that Luke had when he was on Dagobah that he plugged R2-D2 in? Is that a lamp or a power outlet or what is that? And what is the official designation of that blaster Han Solo is going around with? And when that one dancer is dancing at Jabba's Palace, what's the name of that species? A number of these kinds of informations were codified in the Star Wars role-playing game and its various source books, information that gave you more details and more game statistics to add ingredients to your game. A role-playing game simply comes down to this. Your character, if you're a player, has a series of information and statistics written down on a sheet called the character sheet. 
And on that sheet, you had various attributes that represented your character and their abilities in the world. So you might have a strong character and they have a strength trait that is higher than your friend who may not be as strong as you. And maybe they're more agile than you. So they have a higher agile agility stat, so on and so forth. They would tell you how straight you can shoot, how well you can shoot, how smart are you at uh, decoding a ancient star map? How good are you repairing a droid? Can you fly a ship? Can you fix a ship? How much do you know about Imperial protocols? What is the different parts of the galaxy and how do you get there? If you see a bit of spice, do you know if it's glitter stim or some other vein? All these kinds of information is provided for you on your sheet. And where information kind of doesn't fit or you can't make a clear judgment, that's the point of the Game Master. They're the referee who will figure out what thing you should, should try and attempt. But these attempts to try and overcome obstacles are not set by just the numbers that are on your sheet. Those are added to or subtracted by dice. In the case of the original Star Wars game, it used a system of 2d6. We use the term 2d6 to describe two six-sided dice. D6s being dice that have six sides. This was easily acquired by anyone in the 1980s, and all of this is a preamble to the fact that the first role-playing game, which is one of my favorite hobbies, I ever got into was the original Star Wars role-playing game. Well, technically a little bit later on when they had a second edition of it where they had cleaned up the rules, added a little more full-color art, and, and had learned a lot between the two printings. Um, for instance, I believe mine was printed in the early 90s when the original game again started in the late 80s. It was a huge boon to me. I had never had the idea of, in my imagination, sure, I had drawn stories or written stories and thought of my own adventures I'd have out there in the Star Wars universe, but I never really, you know, had any inkling that, wait, I could sit down with friends and we could play a game in which we're rolling dice, which help give some randomness and some effort, some achievement to overcoming obstacles and that we could live in the Star Wars galaxy and tell whatever stories we want and that those stories would evolve and live. And, you know, I can't describe how great it was to have a book in my hands that unlocked the idea of my friends and I could go out into that galaxy far, far away and just tell stories that were untold that are happening in the margins or around the main story of our beloved franchise. But as I said, one of the interesting things that also captured my imagination was in all the materials that it added. The Star Wars role-playing game kept the torch alive. I mentioned that earlier. During the Dark Times, and the Dark Times, again, is basically the period from about 1984 or 5, depending on how you want to measure it. Basically, a lot of people say when the Kenner line ended, and before the 90s when Heir of Thrawn was written. It was a period of time in which, basically, Star Wars was over. The fad had completed it, and no one really expected it to come back, and no one really knew if there was any energy left in that. This is, of course, long before the time that before franchises never died, and there wasn't a whole lot of ideas that there, you know, was going to be more stuff. And none of this really came together until, you know, 1999, when we had new Star Wars and the tree of Star Wars had been renewed. 
So during this time, one of the main things that kept the torch of Star Wars going in the community was this role-playing game. It had regular supplements, things like the Imperial Sourcebook, the Rebel Alliance Sourcebook, adventures and quests like Black Ice or Galaxy Guide 4, Alien Races, where we were learning about all of these different races that you could play in the game. What if you wanted to play a Twi'lek? Well, what's a Twi'lek? Well, it's those things with head tails that Bib Fortuna and Ula in Jabba's palace are. And they didn't have a name until this Star Wars role-playing book. Well, the Imperials, well, how do they gain control? Well, there's a group called ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau. Oh, okay. What are they? How did I know about them? Well, in the Imperial source book, we defined who the ISB was. We defined who Compnor is. Compnor is the continuation. Uh, I'm going to mess up the acronym, but it's basically the New Order. It's the PR division of the M Empire who is going around and deconstructing the Republic and reconstructing it as the Empire and making sure that the New Order stands most prominently in people's mind as always been here, always will be here, and the most important thing and there's no reason to cross it because it's such a juggernaut that you should be proud to be an imperial citizen and these are the kind of thoughts and concepts that needed to be ironed out oh sure we had x-wings and y-wings but what other ships could you fly out there we've seen a, a corellian yt-1300 moderated freighter in the form of the millennium falcon but what's an unmoderated yt-1300 are there other yt craft how else do you get stuff from back and forth around the galaxy? I kept hearing that Han Solo lost this thing of spice. Well, what's spice and why do people want it and how do you transport it? Well, and who's buying it? Is it the huts or are the huts just moving it for someone else like these pikes? So many things came out of that role-playing game and kept it again, alive in the minds of fans. And my favorite thing that is probably, as you've already known, if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, Arabish, the Star Wars language, was generated for the role-playing game. A devoted fan who was writing for the game went through and watched Return of the Jedi on, you know, on home video over and over again until he had pieced out all the glyphs, the little individual letters that he saw and all the readouts in Return of the Jedi. Because in Return of the Jedi is when Arabish first appears. It's a number of these little symbols because they had decided that in 1977, when they had English on the readouts, that just didn't feel right, especially for a movie that had become so international. It made more sense for us to have just random letters on there that didn't really mean anything. But the guys inside, inside the West End role-playing games decided that those letters should mean something. Kind of like a secret language to make your game more Star Wars-y. And when you give handouts or like, you know, communiques or letters to your players, perhaps some of those letters are on there to give it more of an otherworldly feel. And he took all the glyphs that he had seen in Return of the Jedi and kind of pounded them into shape and looked at the Star Wars movies and realized that they were gibberish and there was no way to make them into a cohesive language, so he decided to do it himself. And years later, it would be Lucasfilm that would reabsorb that into their own canon by the time they were looking at things like the special editions and episode one and canonize that into, yes, Arabish is the f official lettering system of both the Republic and the Empire. And that all came out of this goofy little role-playing book. Now, West End Games had a pretty good run, and they covered tons of material in their time. They would keep printing books all the way through the 80s, the 90s, and almost to the 2000s. Basically, 
if there was something to tap about Star Wars, they had gone into it. One of my favorite things is the Tales of the Jedi Companion that came out shortly after my copy of the second edition came out in 1996, where we had the comic book Tales of the Jedi being written as a source book. You can learn about all the characters like Ula Keldroma and Exar Kun and how those characters' statistics would work if you wanted to use them in your game or what concepts you saw in those comic books that you might want to translate to your own game. And it just, again, I can't describe how much it captured my imagination, how much it was the Wikipedia before the Wikipedia. And another fascinatingly wonderful thing that I think has been hard until very recently, um, if you're online on YouTube and uh, Twitch, the streaming services, then you probably have stumbled over or at least aware of Let's Play videos where people play things like tabletop role-playing games, generally to an audience. Uh, Critical Role is a very famous version of that for the Dungeons & Dragons line. And there's a number of different groups out there that are doing all kinds of different games from all kinds of different eras. And now it's not that hard to understand what a tabletop role-playing game is, but you can sort of check in with someone who's doing it and see how they play and learn from their example. In the 90s, it was much more difficult to get people on board on understanding what these were. And there's a lot more guesswork since you didn't necessarily, unless you learned from someone, didn't really have one someone to model. And I really appreciate that one of the interesting things about the Star Wars role-playing game um, was it had a way to play the game by yourself, a solitaire version. And it was like a choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, if you're a fan listening in the UK, you're probably familiar with the um, Steve Jackson game books that were around. Those, for Americans, are very similar to like the choose-your-own-adventure books, except they have one key difference. When you get to go to page 72 or page 13, you may not be able to just go there. You might have to roll a dice and look at the small character sheet you made for your character that you are running through this book, this game book, and decide, well, if you are if you have a strength and you roll a dice and you roll above a six, go to page 72. If you roll under it, go to page 13. And that would make it so it wasn't just easy to go and flip the page and see what happened. You would actually have to live with the consequences of trying things out and trying to push your character in different directions. And the Star Wars role-playing book had a great introduction of this. It's basically a cantina, and you found that you needed to escape that cantina before Imperials got there, and by the time they're there, maybe you found yourself hiding behind the bar, or maybe you found the secret entrance at the back of the cantina to escape back into the alleyways, but now you're in the alleyways, how do you get away from here? And, oh no, this pirate woman, she seems to have this beautiful platinum hair and seems to want to help you, but can she be trusted? And you would go through this little micro-adventure and learn how the game would work by asking different prompts. For instance, if, did you see the secret door? Roll your perception and see if you actually are perceptive enough to catch where that hidden seam is that lets you out into the alleyway. When you get into the alleyway, are you intelligent enough to know your way through the streets to get over to maybe the spaceport and get out of here? And even if you get there, do you know enough about spaceship navigation to get off planet and use a ship? If you could steal a ship, do you even know which ship would be good to steal? All kinds of questions that you would answer. Now, of course, having this choose-your-own-adventure is not going to be as interesting as asking a living being person, you know, like your game master, who, with ingenuity, creativity, and a lot of imagination, has to answer all those questions I might have just asked, and more that I probably haven't asked, or that certainly the game master's never thought of. But using these rules as a framework, you do your best. You try to figure out what would be interesting, what helps move the story along, what makes the character shine, and what makes these people the star of their own Star Wars adventure. 
By the time we got to 1998, West End Games had had a pretty good run with everything they had produced for Star Wars. But between some waning sales and the renewed interest in Star Wars, there was a certain amount of understanding that perhaps it was time to give the reins to a new company. And at that time, the new company was, ironically, the old company. TSR, Tactical Strategic Rules, I believe that's what that stands for, TSR was the original publisher of Dungeons & Dragons. And after everything that happened in Dungeons & Dragons, while Dungeons & Dragons recovered and did pretty well through the night, through the 80s, by the time they get into the 90s, a lot of business decisions were being made that made the company not as viable as it once was. And so by the close of the 1990s, TSR was in a pretty bad shape. And swooping in to take control of all their assets, kind of absorb their company and take over the Dungeons & Dragons brand was a company called Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast had become a very large company in the 1990s because they were the publisher of the very popular trading card game, Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering is to collectible card games what D&D is to tabletop role-playing games. It's the granddaddy and the one that codified the form that became things like the Pokemon card game and Yu-Gi-Oh! and all kinds of countless other games in that ilk. Taking a lot of that Magic the Gathering money, Wizard of the Coast said, hey, it's a great time for us to absorb D&D, plus we're trying to make our portfolio better because Hasbro, the giant toy company, is courting us and may end up taking over us. And so by the time you get to the 1990s, Hasbro owns Wizards of the Coast, Wizards of the Coast owns Dungeons and Dragons, and Wizards of the Coast had bought Kenner, the original Star Wars designer, and had had a number of good years in the 90s selling new Star Wars figures to Star Wars fans and their new burdening children. And so when Lucasfilm was negotiating the new action figure contracts for the upcoming Episode One. They also talked to Hasbro and said, well, hey, you already do great make products for us. Uh, why don't you guys take control of the role-playing game? And so Star Wars, the role-playing game, which is different from West End game, which is... <laughs> Hold on. Let me just make sure I've got this right. Star Wars, the role-playing game by West End Games was the first one, and it has a colon in the middle. The one without a colon in the middle is the Wizards of the Coast edition that was first published in November of 2000. And it's ironic because Wizards of the Coast had just published their first version of Dungeons & Dragons a couple of months before that. So they were firing on all cylinders, bringing new role-playing game experiences to a much, much wider audience with the distribution network of Hasbro, the giant toy company. So with that, they had built Star Wars out of the Dungeons & Dragons rule set that they had built. Dungeons & Dragons is known as a D20 system. It is based on a D20. Using the arithmetic we used earlier, a D20 is a dice with 20 sides. So any integer from Z 1 to 20 can be generated on that, and that will skew what the statistics that are static on your character sheet tell you about what you can and can't do in the universe, what's easy for you to do and what's difficult for you to do, and what your margin of success for accomplishing things are. The nice thing about Star Wars, the role-playing game, is that it was able to build upon the fact that over, you know, um, 10 
plus years, almost 15 years, of Star Wars content had been generated by West End Games, and a lot of that had become canon in the new things that happened during the 90s, the video games that were coming out from LucasArts, the action figure lines that were being built by Hasbro, the new attempt to try and build interest in Star Wars that was Shadow of the Empire, a cross-media project that saw, saw just how much energy there was in the Star Wars property, which led to the special editions, which led to the sequel, the prequel trilogy. So with all that in mind, they were able to start fresh and offer new eras of play. So when you picked up the Star Wars role-playing game, it was 2000. So you could play adventures in the time of the Galactic Civil War, the Imperials and the Rebellion and the underworld in between the two of them, or you could play adventures in the burdening prequel era. Did you want to play a Gungan? Well, you could. There was rules for all the primary things that you saw in Episode 1. If you wanted to become a pod racer, that was available to you in ways that the original game could just not theorize of what that was going to look like. And admittedly, that became a bit of a problem for it in the sense that by the time Episode 2 came out, Hasbro sort of needed to revise their source book. Not because necessarily the rules need revisement, though there was definitely some refining of them that happened, but because in 2002, episode two, Attack of the Clones was coming out, and maybe you wanted to play Adventures in the Clone Wars. Maybe you wanted to play Jedi in their waning era, now that we knew a lot more about them thanks to that movie. Now you could play Adventures in Coruscant and know what that looks like, or perhaps with new characters like Zam Wessel and Jango Fett, being a crew of bounty hunters was something that you were interested in. And by the time Episode 3 came out, there was a lot of hang-wringing on exactly what they were going to do in response, and their idea was they waited two more years, and in 2007, they decided to bring out what was called Saga Edition. And it was a roll-up of all the collected information of how to play Star Wars in the two existent eras, plus other eras in between, if you were interested in things like the Dark Horse comic series, if you were interested in time frames presented in the video games, perhaps you wanted to play in the Knights of the Republic era, long before Luke Skywalker was ever born. All of those things were available to you in Saga Edition, and Saga Edition had a number of great source books that came out with it, things that told you what it was like to live in the trenches of the Clone Wars, how to build a military campaign like that, or how to deal with Jedi. Maybe you want to play a group of Padawans being raised by a master, and what does that feel and look like? And it also was still connecting into the current initiatives that were happening in Star Wars. For instance, there was very famously a Force Unleashed campaign guide that would tell you what it would be like to exist in this right before episode four timeline where Starkiller and other force experiments are running around with these unleashed, really godly powered uh, force powers and how to deal with that in multiple eras and multiple character iterations when Force Awakens was the biggest Star Wars promotion for when that video game came out. All was pretty well, they did a great job, and Hasbro still has a loving connection with the license that is Star Wars, but by 2010, they had either decided to or were letting go up. They had either decided not to renew or pursue the contract for Star Wars role-playing games, or perhaps it was just the fact that Lucasfilm decided it was time for someone else. One reason or another, in 2011... Uh, the license passed from Wizard of the Coast to a new company that was also making Star Wars game, Fantasy Flight Games. Now, Fantasy Flight Games was known for their very high-quality products in the vein of um, uh, essentially complex board games and card games. 
Um, if you've ever heard of Star Wars, the X-Wing tabletop game or Armada, perhaps Legions. These are all miniatures games that are based on different theaters of war in Star Wars. They are also behind the Living Card Game series and have made a number of really, really popular uh, Star Wars role-playing or well, they all will get to that. Star Wars tabletop games in the last couple of years, such as Star Wars Outer Rim, Star War, Wars Rebellion, and um, that's all I can think of right off the top of my head. Those are two pretty big ones, though. Uh, and the whole point was that they were a more high-end, premium brand for um, tabletop games. Um, and that reflected in what they did next. They decided to release their version of the Star Wars game in a very different way. They released it in basically large campaign guides. You could buy one or you could buy all three and get complete pictures of a theater of play. So the first one came out was in, uh, I think it was about 2011, was Star Wars Edge of the Empire. And the point of Edge of the Empire is you are playing... In the years leading up to to episode You're playing in the years that lead up to episode four. So in the backgrounds though, in the underworld, in the places that are seedy and dark, um, and you are playing smugglers or merchants, bounty hunters, um, hitmen, bodyguards. The kind of people that live out on the fringes, on the proverbial edge of the empire. Now, the Star Wars Edge of the Empire or Fantasy Flight role-playing game system was pretty novel in the sense of it walked away to more role-playing game concepts that are current now. A lot of role-playing games are trying to be more of that theater of the mind, less about the rules and the statistics and rolling dice to figure out everything, and a little more of improv theater and trying to tell a compelling group story and trying to make sure that your characters are the forefront of the story by making the dice rolls not so much tell you if you can or can't do something, but how well you do it. Or does it happen with zero complications, just goes off without a hitch like you expected? Or does it work, but something still goes wrong? A good example of this is in the previous version of Star Wars, if you were Han Solo and you found yourself at the shield bunker on Endor, and you're tasked with hot wiring the door to open, you might take the wires out of that console, start looking at them, identifying them, and using your intelligence or your knowledge of electronics to figure out if you know what all these pieces are. If you did, then you would try to use that same knowledge to hotwire them and put them together in a way that will close the door. In those games, you'd roll maybe that skill, and you'd either roll above a target number that said, yeah, if you hit this number or higher, you succeed, and you're able to open the door. If you rolled below this number, then you did not succeed. Well, it doesn't really show what happens in the movie, which is when Han first makes an attempt, he's like, ah, I think I got it. He closes an additional blast door on it. There wasn't any real accommodations for that other than your game master being cheeky and thinking that was a really fun thing to do to you when you had a failure to make it twice as hard to get inside there now because you have to open up two doors. In the Fantasy Flight game, you might roll dice to say that, okay, I'm going to go and try to do my electronics and I roll a result that tells me that I do succeed at accomplishing the goal of hot wiring the doors, but it doesn't go the way I expected. And that would close an additional door. So you kind of failed or you kind of succeeded, but something else happened. Maybe in your favor, maybe not against your favor. Maybe it's a boon, maybe it's a bane. And it comes to a much more improv 
improvisational uh, style where it's more about the cool things that are happening to your characters, whether they're good or bad, rather than trying to win at the game, which this games, these types of games don't really have a winner. They're all about just experiencing a story together with friends. Edge of the Empire was followed up by Age of Rebellion, which told you more militaristic stories. So all the core rules were in there, just like they were in Age of the em Edge of the Empire, but they were designed more around the idea of what are you trying to accomplish in the military? So are you a Republic fighter ace? Maybe you're an Imperial soldier. Maybe you are a special ops division that of Bothans who are stealing plans to new Imperial military installations. Or perhaps you're a series of death troopers guarding an Imperial dignitary and trying to keep them from harm. It showed what it was like to be part of the two warring powers in the Galactic Civil War and how to play campaigns focused on that. And then the last one was Forces of Destiny. Again, had all the core rulebooks, information, so you could play kind of anything, but had a focus on and gave you primarily rules on how to play stories that involved the Force, whether that was Jedi Knights during the heydays of the Republic, or more likely Jedis and Jedi sympathizers who are surviving out there in the harshness of the galaxy with the empire crushing and trying to kill them or just the force users who don't follow the sith or jedi traditions who are learning to deal with these mystical powers they finally suddenly find themselves being able to tap into it's a very interesting game and uh it's a real kind of head spin how they've produced it the only thing I'll say about these games, which are current offerings, you can go and purchase the the Fantasy Flight games. They are still in current production um, and available at game stores as well as Fantasy Flight, their own website and all kinds of different resellers. Um, and they have all kinds of source books and campaigns to help you get started. The only downside about those and is a common criticism of it, is they require specialty dice, whether those are purchased from Fantasy Flight who makes those specialty dice that are strange and don't are incompatible with other game systems or from applications that they've produced for various smart devices that you can use in lieu of physical device dices to figure out how things go for you. Um, it is a little bit of an Achilles heel, but in the age of internet acquisitions, it's not too hard to get those specialty dice like it was trying to hope that your local bookseller just might happen to have a D&D &D nerd in it who sold all the many weird multi-sided dice required for these silly role-playing games. And as I mentioned, those are currently available. Now, Fantasy Flight has been continuing to make products for it, but they've kind of made their three pillars and they're kind of letting the game be what it is. They are busy with the other parts of their Star Wars franchise work. If you are interested in older versions of the games or looking at it, different games that you might want to play of different eras, there are on various places uh, ways to acquire the older books um, you can find the West End game series or the Wizards of the Coast series in various forms all across the internet and uh, take a look at how those work, especially if you are playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is in its fifth edition and is extremely popular these days. You wouldn't be too ill-used to try either Saga Edition or the original version of the Star Wars role-playing game because it would be pretty familiar to you. If you want to get a taste of the West End style of gameplay, the original, and all you have around is a couple of copies of Monopoly you can steal dice from, you might consider checking out the reprint, the celebration versions of West End's game. Fantasy Flight produced a two-part reprint of the original role-playing books with some fixed details uh, that's available in a slipcover with two copies 
copy, so a copy of the player's handbook and the GM's handbook, or source books, I should say, which allow you and a players to kind of understand your roles and dig into that game. Uh, that is available through Fantasy Flight and their various uh, resellers. And I would encourage that it's a fun time. These games have not aged particularly poorly, especially when you consider the landscape of 1980s uh, RPGs, which tended to have advanced on the cover and were made more complicated than they probably needed to be um, because their fans were demanding more complex, more gritty, hard to understand stuff so they could have more mastery over what their characters could and couldn't do. But I think the Star Wars games have aged pretty gracefully because I think they were always aiming for the biggest, widest net. And I have spent many, 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 many hours telling wonderful adventures and being part of many adventures out there in the Star Wars galaxy. And I think it's more open than ever with so many eras of play, the prequel era, the sequel era, the original trilogy, the Knights of the Old Republic, the High Republic, the adventures that happen where the Mandalorian is in the fall of the Empire or the rise of the First Order or in the far-flung future, well beyond the sequel series, or in any part that you want. They're your stories. You get to tell them however you want. And I do hope you may check them out. And if nothing else, they're pretty interesting reading material and a great sort of um, litmus test to see, okay, what, uh, what was Star Wars like in 1987 or 1996 or 2000, 2002, 2007, 2011, and kind of just see how much our galaxy is constantly evolving and changing and our understanding of the various concept things and stuff in that galaxy are always in motion. Um, and so hope you have uh, some fun with that. Uh, especially if you want to try out the Fantasy Flight's currently offerings, they do have what are called jump starts or quick start guides that can be available for free from places like the Fantasy Flight website, or you can check out some of these materials at places like Drive Through RPG, which is a digital uh, warehouse of various role-playing game products that you can buy for fairly inexpensively uh, for different PDF copies, so ones you can have on your iPads or tablets or PCs. Um, and I would definitely encourage you to try it out. Grab some friends or, uh, you know, just grab your family and try some of this stuff out. I think you might really enjoy it. And as I said at the beginning, this will not be the last time we talk on it because, again, so many things came from that, that wonderful eternal flame that West End Games kept going for us that still burns brightly today of this undercurrent of the Star Wars universe where people are making up their own stories at their kitchen tables and telling some of the most wild adventures about the galaxy far, far away that you've never heard of. All right, that's our show wraps up. I hope you've been having a great time. I hope you enjoyed what I had to say there. I I, uh, I had a little bit more to say. Well, it's Star Wars All In. I said more than I was expecting to. A small topic turned into a slightly larger one. I mean, we're still coming a little bit underweight for our normal episode length, but with only me here, I think I've talked at you by myself enough. But I do hope you really enjoyed what you heard. <laughs> 
Uh, Ross is expected to be back next week, as long as we can make that happen. So expect your regularly scheduled Star Wars all in next week. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed everything that's going on as the time of this recording. Things like The Bad Batch have wrapped up its first season. We're all starting with bated breath to go, oh, I've heard that they... The Book of Boba Fett is finishing up filming, and I heard Mandalorian's wrapping up too, and like, oh, when are we going to start seeing set pictures, and when are we going to start hearing about this information, and you can feel just on the cusp of the uh, future things like Darksabers, and Mandalorian action figures, and various new material are just about to come down and start selling us as we get closer and closer to that precious holiday season with all the various Star Wars products re-entering the channel. And hopefully the pandemic will hold itself off so that we can get some enjoyment out of that stuff and uh, these distribution problems and getting things and products in people's hands will hopefully get better before they get worse. Um, but we'll see together, won't we? Well, I know it's been a fun time for me talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Star Wars All On. I hope you will join us next time for Star Wars In. But until then, my name is Mac. And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.